Once perceived as neutral, journalists are being increasingly targeted deliberately, often in violent attacks. In 2017, 65 journalists were killed, 10 of them women. Women journalists face additional challenges, their very presence in public spaces often provoking hostility, and the new threats from cyber violence impacting them disproportionately. When three well-established women media professionals came to Colombo last week, we in Himal thought it a good opportunity to engage them in the first of a series of new podcasts called The South Asian Conversation. In a freewheeling conversation that crossed borders, we debated, discussed and disputed several topics, including how we navigate public spaces, counter cyberbullying and whether the Me Too movement has had an impact in our backyards. Welcome to the Himal podcast. This is Anahita Majumdar, the editor of Himal South Asian and conversation with three amazing women journalists from different parts of the region. Here with me across the table in Colombo are Najiba Ayubi of Khalid Media, who is also a member of the Media High Council in Afghanistan and is based in Kabul. Subina Sreshta, a journalist and a filmmaker who is based in Kathmandu. And Nupur Basu, an independent journalist and documentary maker who is based in Bangalore. Thank you very much for joining me here today. Since you are all here for a conference on gender-based violence, I wanted to start by discussing an aspect of living and working as a woman professional in South Asia. As women, we always seem to carry an extra level of awareness about where we are, who we are talking to, and how we are dressed. Najiba, I'd like to start by asking you, Kabul is a difficult city to live in, but as a woman, do you feel you carry an awareness of an extra sense of vulnerability because you're living there? Uh, as you mentioned, th thank you for your question. As you mentioned, uh, Kabul is a dangerous city for all citizens, especially for women, and uh, more especially when you're a woman journalist. Uh, it is always a um, challenge be, being a journalist, a woman journalist in Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, yes, I think uh, it is uh, more uh, dangerous for uh, women. And we are, when we are going to the um, side, to the area, uh, we are facing a lot of challenges. The first thing, this is the look of the people on a woman journalist. Always when a woman journalist is on the street and making report, she faces a lot of uh, bad looking from the people. Because you know, Afghanistan um, have a lot of uneducated people, and a lot of them coming from very abroad area to the capital. And it is very new to them when they, they say a woman journalist with a camera, with mic and other uh, journalistic material, uh, it is new for them, and that's why they are looking mm, very different. And in this uh, uh, situation, this is a challenge for a woman journalist, which to keep the self-confidence and also uh, to to don't uh, uh, forget the topic or or things when he make the report. Uh, but uh, I am happy now during this uh, 16 or 17 years after Taliban, there is a good and very talented generation is coming in the media. They are facing this problem, and in the same time, they are challenging the problem. 
and it is a good thing for uh, Afghanistan, especially in Kabul. You manage a large media house. When you set out for work every day, do you feel like you have to be careful about how you work, or do you actually feel you have to forget your identity as a woman and work just as a professional? I I never think about my my uh, my uh, gender gender never because uh, I uh, in my perspective the woman and men uh, and professional work is not different uh, and both of them have to take about the uh, same criteria in their work uh, but uh, about the young journalists sometimes they are rejecting to go to some area in work like uh, example uh, we sent two three years back we sent a journalist woman journalist to a uh, hospital which the addicted people was there and they said the woman said it is very difficult for me he, he she didn't reject but mentioned that it is it will be very difficult I told why said they are addicted people and they are seeing to me a different and I cannot to uh, stay for long time there and also in some other uh, army area, when we sent women journalists, they are facing this uh, issue. But uh, me, never. I think I am a woman or I am a woman. Well, I've seen you at work in Kabul, so I can absolutely verify that that is the way you work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sabina, I'll turn to you now, largely because you look like you might fall asleep on us because you've had a very short night because South Asian cities are really badly connected still. Yes, it takes an incredible amount of time to come a very short distance. It should have been a five-hour flight. And it takes around 15 hours to get here. So I remember moving from Kabul to Kathmandu six years uh, ago, and I lived there for six years. And uh, one of my first feelings was this amazing sense of relief that the male gaze, which uh, Najiba was talking about, was not there, but or was almost scaled down to being uh, non-existent. But uh, you travel a lot uh, throughout Nepal and to other places. Do you feel that you have to keep in mind uh, your circumstances all the time as a woman professional? You do to a certain extent, even in Kathmandu, the way um, if you want to be taken seriously, you do go out of your way to power dress, for example. Um, but um, when you go to some of the rural areas, it's not necessarily to um, to kind of prove myself, but rather fit into this, fit into the circumstances, so people are comfortable with me, in order for me to be, uh, in order to get their stories, because I don't want to be a story when I get get to those places. I want their stories to come out. So I do take, um, make an effort to, not make an effort, but I at least be sensitive to the circumstances and try and dress sensitively. Um, in, res in respect to where I am. What about you, Nupur? You've had a very wide and varied experience. You've done, uh, worked for a TV channel, and you're making documentaries. You travel widely. Is this an issue of concern to you? Uh, it's not one of concern, but it's something that you adapt to. And you know, I mean, okay, I've been a journalist for now over uh, three and a half decades. And uh, if I have not learned by now how to fit in to situations so that, as uh, Sabina said, that, you know, we don't want to be 
conspicuous, right? You you want to uh, you don't want to become the story. You have gone there. You want those people to be comfortable with you. So you dress appropriate. You you don't go to a slum dressed in uh, your party clothes, right? I mean, it would just be inappropriate. And uh, in fact, we talk about this now and we say how we did it in our times, and we tend to look at generations and. Sometimes I do find that, uh, you know, it's not so people, the younger journalists are not sort of following those codes and I don't hold it against them. If they're comfortable doing it, it's fine. But somehow, yes, we did adapt to situations and cultures. I and mean, you know that the moment we land in Kabul, nobody has to tell us. We just cover our head because you don't want to be conspicuous. In fact, then you actually, people think you're an Afghan. And in Nepal, I love to go and put on my Nepali shawl. I love it. I mean, you know, why not, you know? And um, we can't wear it here. It's too hot. So it's, um, yes, but one does take care of how, what is your public persona? We come to this whole thing of what is your public persona? And that's very important for a journalist, I think, um, you know, to be accountable to people. So that, you know, as it is, there is so much of hounding. Yeah. that is going on. You don't want to add to that hounding by uh, doing something inappropriate. It does not mean that we are censoring, you know. It's just a question of just being smart, actually. But it's not only about dressing. It's also about, like, how you um, how you work around other people as yeah. well. Like, you know, um, generally I work with a lot of men and the subjects of my interviews end up being those in power, which generally is, tends up, ends up being men. So it's the body language as well. Like, you know, there's, there's, if I look down or if I kind of don't stand mm. up to them, then I'm not going to be taken seriously, including like where you sit in a car while you walk in, because the driver also needs to know who's the authority here in, in a sense. Like, you know, um, so little things like that, you know, where you sit, how you talk to people, even shaking hands makes a huge difference, like who you shake hands with, who you do a namaste to. The, all those um, kind of codes that you adapt to, as you said, like yeah. you, you don't even think about it, but um, you do those things because you, you just want to, get the, you want to get the story and you just have to do the best you can in order to get those stories, I think. But I'm guessing this uh, kind of code that you're talking about, it stays in place even when you're not working. Yeah. As women, I think we all have to respond to our situations and be alert in a way in which I guess men don't have to be. No, I find it really no, interesting. At this point, I'm going to depart yes. from what you're suggesting, where you are leading us. I, I don't think we censor ourselves uh, in the way we want to. I mean, if, if one is not at work, and one is going for, uh, you know, a private event. I'm not going to censor myself about how I dress. I, I'm not talking when I say I. I don't really mean that, you know, that I will be dressed in some uh, something that doesn't work for me. But yes, I, I'm, I'm going to be as comfortable as I want to be. I'm not going to censor my dress code. I'm not going to censor how I speak and what I do just because I live in South Asia. In fact, I, I do work and behave and uh, talk and dress um, exactly as I do in South Asia, as I do in any other country, actually. I mean, it just made me think. That's know, interesting because yeah. I don't. Um, 
I and I'm not talking about private spaces or parties or people's homes, but depending on which city. And I've now lived in Kabul and in Kathmandu. I'm in Colombo. I've lived earlier in Delhi, and uh, my body language changes depending on where I am, regardless of whether I'm working or not. Uh, I mean, there's. I mean, like there are certain cities where you can feel the aggression. She said Delhi. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's yeah. a hot spot. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and then you actually yes. walk in a certain way. You're yeah. ready to punch people. I exactly. mean, that's just the way you exactly. have to walk yeah. in those kind of cities. But, uh, um, but the I way mean, you walk in the, uh, Delhi, uh, you would not walk like that in Colombo or Kathmandu. You know, we'd be more you, relaxed body language. Yeah, you don't exactly. need to. You, so. know, you don't need to, yes, need yes. to have or that Or in aggression. Bangalore. I wouldn't yeah. be that uh, tense in Bangalore yeah. as I would be in Delhi. So different cities in South Asia have a different sort of, you know. But yeah. as you know, in Kabul, situation is very different because uh, um, with the, the um, limitation, uh, which is uh, because of the gender, there is religion also put some uh, limitation for dressing women, yeah. comparing men. That's why you have to be careful if you are walking in Kabul or walking in Kandahar or different places of mm. uh, uh, Afghanistan. But uh, um, comparing Kabul to other uh, cities, Kabul is, in Kabul you uh, feel a little comfortable regarding the dressing. If you go to south or north or some other places, you have to take care mm. more about mm. your dressing mm. too much. And do you feel more relaxed if you travel for work outside uh, Afghanistan as you are in Colombo now and I've met you earlier in Delhi? Actually, uh, I'm feeling same in Kabul and Colombo because uh, I have to uh, respect the the limitation which is uh, putting on the woman in Kabul in here. I couldn't uh, um, take out my scarf and when I'm in Colombo or when I'm in Delhi, but uh, I have to respect it because I, I have to go back to Kabul and mm. live there and work there. Because of that, I am uh, uh, behaving same and dressing same. This is my dress when I wear in Kabul right. and Colombo. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Would you imagine that Najiba is sitting in her office in Kilid Media? Yes. Exactly like this. It yeah. Is like I that. would be like this in in New York or in uh, Kathmandu or Colombo or Delhi even. You know. But mentally, I think mentally, I I. I feel a little relaxed mm. in Kabul mm. because of the security. Mm. In, in Kabul, uh, even now we can't go to a restaurant with the confidence. Mm. We, always you're expecting some explosion or an attack or something. But mentally I'm feeling well and uh, relaxed here or in another city in the world than Kabul. Sabina, so, you were t saying that the hounding of women, women professionals has increased. Uh, has there been an escalation of that in recent times, you think? Or globally, you mean? Or in South Asia? I Your mean, experience? Well, and not really. I mean, I mean, online, yes. Online, there's always, um, it's, it's easier to get trolled uh, for women and um, women do face a lot more harassment than men. Um, but uh, in places that I work in, I mean, it, it has generally relaxed a lot more for women um, journalists. 
um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that while I go reporting, I feel that feel being hounded um, by my appearance or the way I walk or you know um, just uh, my body language. Um, but you know, online harassment is a big issue for a lot of women uh, across the uh, across the globe. Uh, since we're talking about the globe, I wanted to also ask you about uh, the Me Too movement. And a lot of the focus, of course, has been in the West. Uh, but is there an impact in the places in which you are working now? Actually, two things. One is just to take off from what she said. I, I sort of defer a little bit with that. I think the climate of, uh, you know, being aware that women journalists are increasingly under attack. Um, I think I think one has to be aware of that. It is increasing. Uh, out of the 63 journalists killed globally last year, 10 were women. One of them was Gauri Lankesh from the city I yeah. live in, Bangalore. Happens also to be a dear friend. Uh, the other was uh, a woman journalist from you know the Panama Papers in Malta, and both of them were hunted down and killed. As we know that. 70% of journalists um, are not killed in, in a war. They're killed, they're actually, you know, got after and killed because they're reporting on, um, you know, uh, on an investigative story or on corruption in high places. So this is something that one is aware of. And that women journalists are being increasingly targeted is a reality that we've certainly grown up, uh, we've woken up to uh, and smelling that coffee in India. And uh, so that's something. And then the other, what you said earlier about online harassment. So the physical attacks are also translating onto, onto the online arena. And that's a new beast in the room. Mm -hmm. And it's taking such enormous, uh, you know, it's taking such frightening proportions. You know, you've had women whose bodies are mopped with their faces. I mean, you know, it's like really, really going down to some awful levels. And there's nobody who is being held accountable for that. And that is indeed frightening because, you know, the male men journalists do not get uh, threatened with rape and also uh, with, uh, you know, the kidnap of their children, etc. It's the women journalists who get all this. After Gauri died, uh, we were saying today, I was saying today that she got trolled. After her death, she was called all sorts of names. I mean... A day. You first killed a woman and then you are, you know, name calling and then you are naming other women journalists that you want to eliminate. Today, as we are speaking here, there is a person who was uh, somebody in my state, Karnataka, uh, a BJP, um, MLA or MP, I, you know, I just sort of fleetingly saw that, saying that all intellectuals in this country should be shot. And again, putting it in the guise of, oh, they attack the army, etc. But, you know, mm -hmm. putting out a statement, an elected representative. So I think it's the climate in which we are living. I mean, and we are sitting in Sri Lanka where hundreds of journalists have had to leave this country during the ethnic conflict. Men and women have had to leave here, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's tough times. Me Too movement, I think in India right now, uh, the Me Too movement... Um, uh, I don't think we've really woken up to it, but to some extent, I think uh, 
you know this Kerala episode where this woman uh, artist uh, actress was uh, hounded and then uh, you know was um, uh, sexually harassed and then that actor was brought back into that uh, community I think 310 women filmmakers we've come out with a signature campaign saying how could he have been mm -hmm. taken back into that film body when uh, you know he's allegedly done something like this let the at least the court case get sorted out before you know so it's been one of those meet I think I think we're just seeing the beginning of me too here yes she was raped wasn't she yes. by at the behest of this actor allegedly yes. uh, but there has been a good pushback from the women actors not so much support from the male actors uh, there I think with the Me Too movement, um, at least in Nepal, like a lot of the stories that should have come out, which I would assume that there there has been a lot of harassment, it just doesn't come out. Like I've been talking to friends of mine who have walked out of like even newsroom spaces because they felt unsafe and therefore um, are no longer doing journalism now, and they don't, they still don't want to come out um, talking uh, about it or holding people, um, you know, holding these people um, to account. Um, but at the same time, again, like while online has been really um, harsh on women, there's also been a, a, a maybe post me to um, this sense of awareness about uh, women's um, women's stories and how women are portrayed. Like uh, recently, um, one of the ministers um, said very defamatory uh, um, words about. Um, women who go and study in Bangladesh to be medical doctors. Um, this is the minister from is, Nepal. Yeah, Nepali minister of law who, who is, who is incredibly defamatory. And there was an outpour of anger from um, people online and that has meant the, the minister was forced to resign. So perhaps that is uh, an impact of the Me Too movement. Um, and, um, but Still, the stories of harassment, stories of abuse, which are rampant, but people do talk about behind closed doors, it hasn't come out in public. And I think partly it's also because the the, there are larger stories that you have to report about all the time, whether it be rape, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Um, when people gang rape a, a child somewhere, I mean, how do you start talking about feeling safe in your, in your newsroom spaces or, um, in, uh, or, or in your offices? I mean, you still have to cover about that thing. So there's partly a battle fatigue as well because you're constantly uh, talking about these horrendous macabre crimes that, is, that are have, happening against women and um, gender-based violence, going back into it. Um, and uh, so I think it... As long as these stories take up all our spaces, there's very little time and space to think about our own spaces mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the kind of violence that you know, some of our colleagues might be going through and friends might be going through. That, that still, it's going to take a while to come out and that, to really address um, the power relationships within our social structures. Uh, the Me Too movement is also looking at the spaces which we all occupy in terms of people who are colleagues, family, friends, yeah. to some extent social equals from our milieu. 
And I think that has been one particularly difficult part of actually addressing it. And in India, we've seen a lot of conflict over people who are being named, for example, with people coming down on either side, depending on whether they know the person or not. I was just asking what it might take to dismantle the omurta, the silence, the code of silence amongst people who we know. Do you think something needs to shift? I think that the, the social structures, I mean, right now, our society is so polarized that, as, as you said, like, you know, even with, within our friends, like, it, it depends upon, like, which side everyone is. You, you're kind of, like, treading very carefully about um, who is going to be your ally at what point. And while our countries might have huge populations, it's such a stratified society. It's just a very, you're talking about a very small number of people who all know each other. And um, so there's a level of discomfort while talking about issues of um, sexual violence. Um, and I had even these power structures, it's, it's going to take a while to break this. And as long as we are going to have this kind of extremely polarized debates, it's going to be difficult to kind of shift our focus and say, this is, this is what we're going to target. This is what we're going to talk about and kind of address this um, this inequality this this power that men have over a lot of women and and change it yeah I totally agree I think you know this politics of uh, you know the, the uh, you know this monster of pol polarization that we are seeing I don't think we've seen this kind of polarization before and then you have it presented night after night on television channels and depending on which side of the you know political party that you support and there may be of course there are some objective uh, elements still left but most of them would go with uh, with another you know with a narrative that supports you know the political party they serve so like you know you referred to the the gang rape so you on a horrendous crime like that you will have polarization a polarized debate on television instead of everybody coming together and saying that no this is this is wrong and the guilty should be punished and the perpetrators should be you know should face justice nothing you know you have people actually saying oh do you know the what about tree mm. this famous word mm. which I actually don't like I'm sick of it you know mm. but this is what is happening this yeah. is the way it's all explained of what about you, Najiba? I'll let you have the last word. Uh, Afghanistan, things are on a different scale, of course. And uh, women ministers are not confirmed by parliament because they're seen as women who have set up safe houses and are therefore immoral. Mm -hmm. Has the Me Too movement had any impact at all? Uh, actually, in Afghanistan, one of the big challenges for uh, human rights defender, especially for the uh, women rights defender, is that when uh, some women face some uh, harassment or something, uh, they are not talking. They, be, they uh, always keep quiet because uh, they are afraiding from their honor uh, and also from the name of their father or brother, and they don't want to raise it somewhere. Even it is very difficult to raise this with the human rights defender, even women. 
it make a big difficulty and uh, made more courage men to to disturb uh, women. Uh, you remember there was uh, the Journalist Safety Committee had a uh, research in 2014, and the result of the research was that 65% of women in media organization are facing harassment. Mm -hmm. In uh, this report, uh, it was good that they raised this report, but uh, a lot of uh, people, a lot of human rights defenders, they complain because they said it will make more limitation for the women which they work in media. Uh, somebody, because the families uh, may yeah, not like it. Somebody gave an example. Uh, we want to m make the style under the foot of the woman, and you want to broke this style. Mm -hmm. and, and that is why uh, it, this is a big difficulty. But about the uh, Me Too campaign, I want to say there is a few courage women they uh, wrote in Facebook, in their accounts, they wrote that uh, we face this problem. They didn't name the person, mm -hmm. but they raised. I think uh, it, it was a good opportunity for the um, men that uh, want to do this, or they did in the past. They, uh, it was a kind of challenge for them, and they are afraid if we, they do, if they continue this harassment or these things, uh, someday some um, woman will name them. And that's why it had a good uh, effect. Well, let's hope for uh, significant progress in this area. And three courageous women, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.